Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so they can maximize value and exit on their terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsort and today I'm talking to Babs Jameson from Jameson's Law. Welcome Babs. Hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast. We were talking a little earlier about your background and it sounds fascinating. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background about who you are and how you got here and um, kick us off from there. Sure, thanks Daryl. Thanks first of all for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here and to be chatting away to your audience. Um, hopefully they can keep up with the Scottish accent. I'll speak nice and slowly. Um, so yeah, so as um, Daryl mentioned, my name is Babs more formally on a Sunday known as Bardra. And um, my firm is Jameson Law. So we specialize in providing legal advice to small businesses and startups across the UK, Ireland, and sometimes the US. Um, we focus predominantly on things like corporate work, um, which might be really relevant to your audience, um, but also things like contracts, brand protection, and all your kind of day-to-day -day legal queries. Um, in terms of how I got here, I originally, trained and um, studied trained and qualified in Scotland um, and I worked for one of the, the kind of big firms in Scotland after a while I went in-house I worked for an investment management company for a few years realized shortly that um, there it was a great job but it, there just wasn't kind of a lot of progress for me um, it was a flat organization structure really tried to go back into the the kind of big bad legal world and and realized very quickly that I, I, I felt like lawyers or want to be want to be lawyers go to go to university because they want to help people um, and whether that is you know family law employment law or corporate law it, at the end of the day they're, they're meant to help people and I wasn't getting that feel from the kind of big firms I, I wasn't I wasn't sure that we were definitely giving the best service that we were helping everyone that we could um, and that we were working in the best way that was in the best interest of the client so um, I left that world, set up on my own, freelanced for a couple of years, and then set up my own firm after that. Um, we've been going for around two and a half years now. Um, we set up just before the pandemic. Um, we're one of those ones. Um, so that was a bit of a terrifying time, but it's actually done really well throughout the pandemic, which, which has been great. Um, and you just six months ago, we expanded into Ireland. So previously, our main target market, our main clients were... Scotland and England, that still makes up the, the majority of our work, but we are now offering services to Irish customers as well. Not a bad start for a business that started just a couple of years ago and uh, yeah. the beginning of a pandemic that uh, for many businesses was a, a bit of a slowdown. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd say we kind of really kicked things off February 2020. Um, and so March 2020 was a bit of a, oh my God, what have I done? Um, but it, I, I think this was felt across all industries. Everything went very quiet for March um, and the start of April, and then people started to see opportunities. So it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't scary for too long. Yeah. So Babs, let's jump in. You've got a back, background and, and working for big companies and, and you're in corporate law, and now you're focusing on, on SMEs and startups. Yeah. Your experience, what's the main difference between those two types or two ends of the market? Um, there's, a, there's a relationship difference and there's a kind of legal work difference. Um, from a relationship perspective, um, I feel like for me, I get to be much more involved with the, the senior management. Um, the senior management are 
tend to be, not always, but tend to be a lot more open to new ideas and change and, and, and really innovative. Um, they're, they're kind of less stuck in the formalities and the structure and the way that things have to be done, which is quite nice. Um, but from a legal perspective, a lot of the time owners of SMEs, they might have no legal experience. They might have come from the big bad corporate world and have legal experience, but they've done it in the confines um, of a bigger organization. Um, generally speaking, smaller businesses tend to kind of want to know what is my risk and do I need to care too much about this point? Um, like what, what are the main things I need to focus on and what can I let go? Um, bigger bigger clients tend to, to want to push on a lot more. Um, so it's a bit more of a pragmatic approach, I would say. Yeah. So smaller businesses perhaps don't know what they don't know. Bigger businesses know what they don't know. They've done it before. They just jump in yeah. straight and do it. Smaller businesses, perhaps faster acting, entrepreneurial, still got that entrepreneurial spirit. Let's yeah. go. It's going to cost how much? Yeah. Yeah. We get a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> And just because it's, it's all new to them. Okay, so, so so that's the end you're focusing in. It's 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 a lot more relationship based, as you suggest. They yeah. they 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 get to know you. They get to to experience your credibility and your knowledge. Um, you add value, and then they have no hesitation in, in coming back if you know, assuming you've you've done a good job for them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of clients that we took on a couple of years ago um, that have just have just kind of stayed with us for us it's all it's all about the relationship yeah so if we're if we're working with businesses from the early stages of their development if we take the premise of they you know we need to begin with the end in mind we if we you know we want business owners to be able to exit on their terms and be exit ready um, so they can get the most of their life's work what's the first thing you start looking at to make sure from from your legal perspective that they need to have in place it's, it's, it's like an all over legal audit, to be honest, it's a kind of top down approach. So there are certain areas that we would be looking at corporate, commercial in terms of kind of what contracts are in place. Um, brand protection is a big one. And GDPR compliance, those are the kind of four major, major buckets that we kind of start with. And then we'll drill down into those. I, I wouldn't say that one is more important than the other. They're all essential that doesn't mean that somebody needs to run away after hearing this podcast and do it all within the next couple of days it just means that there needs to be an awareness um, from a getting exit ready perspective what things you need to have in place so for instance from a corporate perspective do you have a shareholders agreement have you got the right articles of association in place do you have the right corporate structure and even in terms of things like percentage of shareholdings have you set yourself up properly so that on an exit it's kind of um easy to work out who's getting what um, from a commercial perspective a contracts perspective do you have really good client contracts in place would a buyer understand what their obligations are and still have a good flow of business um, or or do you have like change control provisions in there which means that if you sell the business all your clients can walk away that's that's going to be a big problem for a buyer um, what kind of relationship have you set up with your suppliers through your contracts? Have you protected your branding? Have you trademarked what you should? Um, because that that's a, a big problem for a buyer if they come along and all of a sudden the brand name's pulled out from under them. So these are all things that I would start high level question and then start to dig a little more into. And then we'd probably identify some gaps and some things that we need to cover. 
So a bit of a, a working plan that, that doesn't have to be done straight away. It's going, let's do it. Because it's all about managing risk, isn't it? And exposure to it. And just because there's a risk doesn't mean it's going to happen, but you need to mitigate the risk as much as you can. Absolutely. And, and it becomes about a value proposition as well. If you have a buyer who's offered X amount, but all of a sudden they find out you haven't registered your trademark, they might start thinking about chipping away that price. So let's, if we can, dig into that, because you've raised a really couple of interesting points. And, mm -hmm. and I think my tendency in the past is when I've spoken to lawyers you know, for, for the podcast is to go gloss over them and just accept them for what they are. But if we yeah. could just start with the shareholders agreement. As a business owner, why do you want a shareholders agreement? What's the purpose of a shareholders agreement? What risk does it mitigate? So it's not just about being exit ready. In fact, that's kind of the last step. And um, for a shareholders agreement, I mean, obviously, if you're in business on your own, this doesn't apply. But if you're in business with a business partner or you have some employees that you've given shares to, it's really important you have a shareholders agreement. It covers things like, how decisions are made, whether certain decisions have to be unanimous, whether 50% or 75% can pass certain decisions. There will often be restrictive covenants in there. So if you have a business partner and they just decide to up and leave, there's nothing without a shareholders agreement that stops them poaching your clients, setting up right next door to you and doing the exact same thing. Um, that, that's, a, that's a big one. Um, the, it, there's so many things that you can put in a shareholders agreement that will just help the relationship with a business partner or another shareholder work better. Um, at the end of the day, with every legal document, if something goes wrong, you have to enforce it, which means getting lawyers involved and hopefully not, but maybe having to go to court. But that's not the best way to look at it. The best way to look at it is it kind of encourages people to behave according to a certain set of principles that you've set down when we're all still friends at the start. Trying to deal with these things when there's been a bit of a fallout or when things maybe aren't going so well in the business is a lot more difficult. It's a bit like a prenup, to be honest. Yeah, I've heard that before. It's, it's while we're still friends and, and, and energy is good between us and we're, we're in great token relationships, um, yep. talking terms. How, let's decide what would happen because it's quite possible that at some time we might want to leave or go our own separate ways at different times. So Absolutely. how are we going to handle that? Let's agree now how we're going to handle that. And if that means one buying out the other, how are we going to value the company? Let's agree now so that we, while we both think it's fair, so when the time comes, we can just go through the motions and, and hopefully avoid as much as we can, um, you know, any unnecessary angst shall we say absolutely i mean at, at the end of the day i mean there's so many examples that i've heard about people coming on the phone saying i have a 70 70 shareholding in my company i've given someone 30 percent. they've not pulled their weight they've not done anything i'm now sitting here with a great offer on the table to sell but i don't want this business part partner to get 30 percent. and unfortunately from my perspective i have to say tough yeah. They are entitled to 30% because you didn't put any paperwork in place that stopped that from happening. Yeah, it, well, exactly. So, yeah, they, they didn't show up they didn't, over the last 10 years. They haven't worked as I expected. Do they know what you expected? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so let's get that in the shareholders agreement. Brilliant. So that that digs and spells that out a bit more. And 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 the other one is is in an unplanned exit that, that I've heard a lot of. If If one of the partners leaves through unplanned, dare I say it, you know, what happens to their shareholding? 
yeah. and you know how, how do we want that to handle so so we get that happening in a good way so that everyone gets looked after in the way that we intended uh, and again expected so it's it's yeah. it's all about managing expectations of what might happen down the down the track Absolutely. So, so that's really helpful, Babs. Now, and you also touched on something that I don't hear lawyers talking about very often, maybe because I'm not asking them, but about brand protection. Yeah. So how do I protect a brand? I'm a small business. You know, my brand is is, is often just my company name. Maybe I've yeah. got a logo. I, I'm a service provider, typically. What are the areas have they got around brand that need protecting and uh, how do you do that? So having a trademark registered in the country or countries that you're working in or plan to be working in in the near future is is really really important and I don't I, I agree with you you don't hear lawyers speaking about it very often and I don't understand why because buyers and investors it's one of the first things that they'll ask about um it's it's essentially I always hear this analogy of um you know running running a running a business on an unregistered brand it's like building a building on rented land like it's you don't own it you're you're kind of just hoping and praying that nobody comes along and registers it from under you so from a small business perspective if you can I would be registering the word mark first which is the business name or the trading name or however you're known in the market now that might be a couple of things for you that could be your business name it might also be like a key product that you run with um, in that situation, you would want to, to register a couple of them. Um, the logo is very important to register as well. For small business owners that are maybe trying to keep an eye on costs, I would always put the logo on the back burner. Um, register the logo once the words have been registered, unless your logo is particularly distinctive and doesn't include your, your business name. The example I always give is Nike. Um, they'd be much more interested in, in trademarking the tick than the name of their business. But in most cases, trademarking the business name is fine and the business name is going to be included in the logo anyway, so you'll get an element of protection. Um, in terms of what you should actually be doing, so as I said, it's, it's territories, it's countries that you're operating in or look to be operating in in the near future. So for a lot of business owners I speak to, they start with a UK application and will then maybe look at US and EU. Um, and the applications are different prices and take different times depending on where you're doing it. Um, a UK application tends to be fully registered within about three or four months um, and cost kind of two to three hundred pounds. A US application can take a year and can cost about $1,000. So it just kind of depends what you're registering and, and where you're registering it. Yeah. And working with someone like yourself is going to know how to make all that happen without, because uh, they do it every day, you do it every day. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so protecting our brand is one of our assets, which will help in the valuation of our company. <clears throat> where else do you look in the company for, for assets that, 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 yeah, I guess are possibly intangible or even tangible assets that, that they may need to protect. We want to think about things like licenses. So depending on the nature of the business and, um, you know, if, if they're a software provider, have they provided the right type of licenses to their customers? Um, a, a big issue and, and one that made me actually really sad to deal with was uh, a client who came to me and had signed a contract with a client um, my client had been operating in business for eight years and had signed an, a contract with an IP provision, which assigned all his IP to this client. Now, 
that meant that he could not continue to run his business. So the IP he'd been running with for years and years then became owned by the client. Now, you would think maybe there's just been a misunderstanding, but the client, his client in that case was particularly unreasonable and he had to shut down his business and start another business. And it was really tragic. Um, and it's because he never he never took legal advice on the contract and he didn't realise what he was what he was signing away. So that is a major, major thing that, I mean, if it costs a couple hundred quid for a contract review, that, that's a drop in the ocean compared to what could happen if you don't understand what you're signing. Um, so that's that's a major thing. It wouldn't just hit the hit the value of the company, it would hit the company altogether. Um, other things that you want to think about are what your client contracts look like and what they would look to a buyer. So do you have your clients locked in for a five-year term? Um, are they on auto renewal terms or if a buyer comes in, can the client walk away um, without much notice? Obviously, those are two very different scenarios, and one is going to be very appealing to a buyer, and one isn't. Yeah. So we need to. It's it's sounding like <clears throat> there's all sorts of traps in all many areas of, of running the business. You yeah. do some sort of audit, and you you've got a process, and you go, look, here's all the gotchas, Mister Business Owner, Mister Business Owner. Here's all the things that could catch you off guard, and you just don't know. So, and, and you've already talked about starting with an audit. Do you, do you have a, a regular annual review of that audit and go, oh, look, your business evolved. You know, this is the next thing you need to be looking at. Um, you know, because we've got brand, you know, you know, someone might introduce a product and end up with a, a product brand, a branded product that they've introduced to the marketplace and um, yeah. want to protect that. Absolutely. I mean, it will depend on the scale of the business, the appetite for risk and um, the appetite for spend. Um, obviously, if you do an annual review, that's going to keep you very well protected and make sure that you're, you're very well aware of what's going on. But there'll be a legal spend involved in that, depending on the, the nature of your business and how many contracts and how many things we're looking at. Um, I would say for a lot of business owners, maybe every two years is probably fine. But that would assume that you're taking regular legal advice throughout. So if you are launching a new product or you are taking on a new client and there's something you're not sure about, that you're checking that off with an advisor before you're doing it. Alrighty, so we imagine our, our hypothetical business is now running along. They've been building their business. They've been taking legal advice along the way. They've, they've, they've protected their brand, their IP there as they've started up. They've got shareholders agreements in place. Um, they're now at a stage where they're thinking about, oh, look, I, I'm going to, I want to exit my business in three years, uh, and it's that classic scenario that you know every 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 year goes by, it's still I want to exit in three years. So um, they've they've come to you and they've said, Babs, look, I'm I'm thinking about exiting my business in three years. What do I need to do to get my business exit ready from a legal standpoint? What, what should I be looking at? <laughs> And that's when I would do that audit, but I would do it as if I am a buyer. So I would kind of send a set of due diligence requests and um, start going through it as if I am buying your business and point out all the things I don't like. Um, yeah. From that perspective, if we're three years um, in the future, that's actually quite a nice period of time to work out, okay, we need to get these six or seven major things done. And then there's about four or five other small bits that's quite nice. We can do one a month. We can just add them to the to-do list and we'll get it all sorted. But I would basically come in in that situation and, and kind of act like I'm a buyer and act like I'm looking to chip away at the value of the business. What, what can I look at that will 
cause me to kind of stand back a bit and or either even if it's not chip away at the value maybe give me some kind of you know ability to negotiate better terms for myself yeah and you're looking at all the things like governance and and board and and, and structures and yeah, yeah overly complicated bits and pieces brilliant absolutely so lots of meat there for, for listeners to start getting their their I was going to say teeth in too, but um, to you know, really get in and learn learn more about. So where do you see the future going? Like with, with changes in the industry for, for small business, we've, you know, we've, we've less, left the UK. Does, does that have any impact immediately for business owners and, and particularly for exits? Um, business owners, I feel like last year was a disaster with the UK coming out of the EU and everybody scrambling around and trying to work out what was happening. We spent the first half of the year just answering a lot of questions that, to be honest, are never questions we've answered before. Things like what happens to imports and exports. We're getting a lot of VAT questions and we're very, very grateful to our accountant friends at the time um, because it's not really our bag. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that settled down a lot. What I'm seeing is a fair bit of movement to, to Ireland um, or or throughout the EU, but, but less so now. I feel like everybody's kind of settled down a bit. There seems to be a little less trade between the UK um, and the EU just because it's a bit difficult. Um, and, and so from an exit perspective, I guess, maybe buyers from the EU buying UK companies, are, are, I would expect that probably to go down a little bit um, just because it's a little bit more tricky now. Things are, are not moving as easily as they were before. But taking Brexit aside, I think that through COVID, through the pandemic, small businesses, I mean, they've really just been so innovative, so entrepreneurial, um, and, and activity has really been on the rise. I mean, my business would not have thrived without my clients doing, doing so well throughout the pandemic. So, I mean, when businesses grow and, and scale, they need legal advice, and, and, and that has allowed a lot of businesses to, to do very well, and I think that'll continue. I, I, I think there's nothing like times of strife um, to see entrepreneurial spirit and to see people do, doing well um, and I think that that will continue for the next few years. Yeah I think you're right and um, and I heard someone saying the other day that there, there is a, a bit of an appetite from EU companies looking to the UK to actually buy companies yeah, because it just that. gives them yeah. access to the UK and, and, and recreates yeah. that bridge that used to be there. Uh, I guess yeah yeah. <laughs> access to the UK market so I guess it depends how you see things you know some yeah. go, that's oh, too hard. Some go, okay, well, it is hard. Let's make it easier. Yeah. Um, and so if we get our businesses right. Now, now for, for me as an exit planner, I, I see that as an opportunity because it means, yeah. hey, look, I've got a wider audience to create some strategic value rather than exiting and selling to a, a competitor. A competitor yeah. is not going to pay anywhere near as much as someone who's seeing a strategic acquisition. So if we get our ducks in a row, we've protected our brand, we've got all of our governance and compliance and shareholder agreements and everything's nice and tidy. We've got our customer contracts all clean um, and, and the business is less dependent on us, then we can go for a smooth transition. Absolutely. Yep. So from, from your perspective, Babs, are there any other documents we need in place if we're getting our business ready for exit? Um, corporate perspective, shareholders agreement, good articles of association that properly cover the share classes, what the rights are, your shareholders agreement and your articles of association should tally up, they, sh they shouldn't contradict each other, they should, they should make sense, they should set out the governance procedures. Um, 
from a kind of more commercial side, everyone should have contracts with their clients. That doesn't mean it needs to always be a signed contract. It might be a, an accept tick box terms and conditions, but you need to have contracts in place with your clients. And equally with suppliers, manufacturers, anything like that, um, that, that that's imperative as well. So everything should be papered. Um, if you have staff, you should have, every single staff member should have an employment contract. Um, I would think about having a staff handbook, um, particularly for the, the legally required policies, but then also just anything else in terms of how to run your business, what, can, what you expect from your business, that's going to look um, attractive to a buyer. And, and then uh, the biggie is <laughs> making sure that you understand GDPR, that you've got your, you've done an audit, you know how data flows in and out of your business, um, and, and you know, you've registered with the ICO, you've got a good privacy policy, all, all that good stuff that you need to, to do to be GDPR compliant, that is something that a buyer will ask about as well. Brilliant. All righty, it feels like we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you thought uh, we, we should cover to, in today's conversation? I don't think so. I, I guess um, just from my perspective, what I would say to people is if they are looking to partner with a legal advisor, I, I wouldn't suggest for, for a small business owner that they go to like the big, big firms. Um, they'll be outpriced. They, yep. in a lot of cases, won't be necessarily the priority client for them. Um, that's not to say everybody needs to come to me, but, it, but they should look to someone who ideally is fixed fee um, targets themselves at a small business market and kind of gets involved in, in the nitty gritty of running a small business and, and can, can be there to kind of ask questions and hold your hand when, when needed. It's a different service. Yeah, someone who understands them, listens to them and, and yeah. values them as a client. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's valued, it, it'll feel like uh, your relationship is, is on an even keel. And, and I see that a lot with businesses. They, as they grow, their advisors are often similar sized businesses to them. And yeah. that always feels like the, the best fit. Um, ambitious businesses sometimes go up a, a scale in advisor and you know, it's, it's good practice. If, if, you're, if you've got fast growth and you, you do have ambitions, then you might want to go up before you outgrow your current provider. But yeah. you know, it, it's, it's really a good tip, Babs, to, to be aware and, and consciously looking at, at who you're working with and what sort of advice you're getting and um, yeah, how that fits your business for its current stage. Absolutely. Totally agree. Brilliant. All righty. Well, look, thanks for your time. Well, one last thing I always ask everyone who, who appears on, on the, the episode is what's the key takeaway? What, what do you want listeners to remember from this uh, conversation we've had today? I think um, sometimes I, I do presentations or I do webinars and when I ask for questions, the response is, oh my God, there's so much to do. And, and that's not the intention. And that's certainly not what I'm trying to get across. It's not to put the fear into everyone. It's just to have an awareness that there should be a to-do list of things um, that you should be gradually working through as you're preparing towards an exit. Um, if you can get legal advice on it, fantastic. If you're not at that stage yet, that's fine. Just listen to some of the things that we've spoken about today and that'll be a really good head start. Um, but it's, it's just important to have an awareness of it and to chip away at it, not to panic, but to just make sure that it's kind of done over time. 
give yourself plenty of time and chip away at it. That, yeah. That's some great tips. And yeah. look, Babs, Will, I'm taking your happy for people to contact you if they, they need some help from all yeah. over the UK and Ireland. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can get in touch with me um, via my website. So we just have a, a contact page there. It's jamesonlaw.legal. Um, you can also email the team directly. It's info at jamesonlaw.legal. Um, and on LinkedIn, I'm just Babs Jameson. So you'll find me there. Thanks for joining me today, Babs. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.